invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis uh, chapter 28. We'll be walking through that text this morning. Uh, To begin with, though, would you join me with a word of prayer? Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that you've given us yourself through Jesus Christ, who is the living word who has come in the flesh. Speak now to us, your servants, that we might hear, that we might learn to obey. Would you conform our will to yours, that we might ascend to Christ, that we might descend by your spirit then to serve a watching world as one people united in Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we dream. I know, for you, some of you, it's like, that's what I do every time Pastor Chad preaches. And that's okay. We're going to be ascending and we're going to be descending together Jacob's ladder. But first, I want to try to help us remember the whole story of Jacob and his family from the past couple of Sundays. Back in Genesis 25, God promised Rebekah and and Isaac that while the two boys were in the, the, the womb, those twins, that the older of the twins would serve the younger. That the promises, therefore, of Abraham, which were passed down to Isaac, then would be passed down not to the oldest Esau, but to Jacob. Thus begins the theme of Jacob's life, that Jacob is to be blessed by God. Jacob will be blessed in order to be a blessing, to bless the world. Later in Genesis 25, we saw that almost comical scene of Esau despising his birthright, so much so that he sells it to his younger brother Jacob for a bowl of stew. We saw last week in chapter 27 of Genesis that Rebekah and Jacob would work together to deceive Isaac because Isaac was despising God's promise to work through Jacob. Therefore, God's blessing was given to Jacob, but not to Esau there. And as a result of that, Esau hated his brother for it. He's plotting now to kill Jacob. So our scene here opens with Jacob literally running for his life. Verse 10 of chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. Now it's a somewhat innocuous beginning here, but there's urgency here that we might miss. So what we have here. Now go back to Abraham's life. Remember he was in Ur of the Chaldeans, and then he goes over to Haran, and then he goes down through the promised land, and he resides at a time in Beersheba. Now, what's Jacob going to do? He's going to go from Beersheba. He's going to travel up through the land and go back to Abraham's heritage. He's going to go back up to the land of Haran. We have Jacob departing uh, Beersheba, following the footsteps in reverse of his grandfather, Abraham. And he goes not empty-handed, but he goes with God's blessing. So if we go back to the beginning of chapter 28, verses 1 and 2, here's what we read. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. In earlier chapters, Abraham had sent a servant up to Padan Aram to find a wife for Isaac. And so we have Rebekah coming back to wed Isaac. The plan here for Jacob is to echo that journey and have Jacob marry one of Rebekah's nieces, a daughter of her brother Laban. 
So what we see in Jacob's life, just step back, big picture. What we have is we have, we have Jacob going from a place of refuge through the wilderness, and he goes into, for a season, Egyptian exile, Egyptian slavery. As we unpack Jacob's story, that's what we're going to see, a place of blessing through the wilderness to Egyptian slavery, okay? Uh, now, verse 3 and 4 continues here. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful, multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. In the same way that God was blessing, wherever Abraham's foot was treading, that would be the land. And so wherever Jacob's foot treads, God says, I'm going to give you that land. Jacob is blessed that he might be a blessing to the world. That's the promise given to Abraham and now to Jacob. In chapter 27, Isaac had given a blessing, but it wasn't as full as what we have in Abraham's blessing or the one given to Isaac. And then we get here and we see a completion, a fullness. God promises to make of Jacob a great name, to make of Jacob a great people where his offspring would inherit a land promised to him wherever Jacob's feet would tread. The younger son of Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob, is blessed now by God in a fullness of blessing. Isaac has humbled himself and now gives the full blessing to his younger son, the one whom his older son would now be serving. He is blessed, that is Jacob. He's blessed to be a blessing to the world. But before Jacob can inherit all of these blessings, he must traverse the wilderness. Jacob left Beersheba, says verse 10, and he went toward Haran. Why, why is this trip necessary? Why should Jacob not just be blessed in Beersheba and live there? That seems better. But here it is, the trip. Well, why the trip? Well, because his brother Esau wants to kill him. That's enough reason probably to get out of town. The brother Esau had married women, Hittite women, women from the, the region there. And the end of chapter 27 talks about, and the end of 28 here too, how, how the life of Jacob and Rebekah and Isaac has become miserable. And so Rebekah and, and Isaac both agree, okay, we've got to marry somebody outside of this region here. Um, and so they, they send Jacob up to her family. Jacob is blessed, is sent into the wilderness that he might become a blessing to the world. And yet for a time, he is made to wander. That's what you see him tra traveling through this land. It's, 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 it's a journey. He's, he's wandering, verse 11, as he's wandering. Verse 11, and he came to a certain place, stayed there that night, because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place. He put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Now that certain place, we find out, is called Luz at the time. It's a reminder for the reader here that this is Canaan land. This is the land of Canaan, Can Canaanite territory. It's, it's a, a, a kind of wilderness for Jacob. Now, as you think about Jacob's life, it's, it really is a good story for, for those who have maybe uh, experiencing life as, a, as an immigrant. And if, as we walk in our communities and we rub shoulders with immigrants. It's really a great story to help us enter into what life would be like to be a stranger in a foreign land where everything familiar 
is removed from us, where loneliness and isolation are our closest companions, where you have strange food, uh, you have strange habits, and the, the geography itself is disorienting. This is what Jacob is experiencing there. I think it's good to enter into that so that we might enter into life with others who are experiencing this as well. Jacob here is entering a wilderness, but he's going in the promise or the blessing of God. And in some sense, the life of the Christian is described often as journeying in a wilderness. But we go into this wilderness with the promises of God who find their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. See, Jacob, Jacob rests in the blessing of God throughout his wilderness wandering. I like how the, the scriptures are, give us some obvious details here. He stopped because it was night. The sun had gone down. That's a good time to stop traveling unfamiliar territory. But we recognize whenever scripture makes a note about it being night, that's a reminder. It's an indicator for us that this is a time of transition. Something's about to happen. Night closes in. He lays his head either on or more likely beside a sheltering stone. I think, I, in my mind, in my imagination, it makes more sense that he's laying it beside the, 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 the preposition could be on or beside there. I've never known in the history of camping anybody who takes a stone for a pillow. And later it's set up as a pillar. So it makes me think this is a larger stone. It's, it doesn't matter, okay? But that's my own thought here. I think it makes sense because... It's later set up as an altar, and what, what, what's happening in Jacob as he lays, to Jacob as he lay down and in the dream, it's, it, it's, a, it's a service, it's worship here, which is what happens at the altar. So I think it makes sense that he's probably laying down beside, maybe sheltering from the elements there by this stone. What happens to his dream happens at the altar. It is a picture of worship. The scene happens at night. Night is when God alone is at work. As we sleep, we offer no effort, no thought, no understanding. Jacob here is not to be able to grasp after anything. He just lays fully submissive to the work of God. Night is the time of change. Night is the time of transition. Life and joy comes in the morning. Verse 12, and, as, or, and he dreamed, that is, Jacob dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. The word ladder here, you may have a footnote. It, 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 it means a flight of steps, or it means something like, literally, it is a raised up place. It is a raised up place. Now, we could think of it in terms of a ladder, but probably a, a stairway or a pathway that's ascending up is more along the lines what our imaginations should be firing on. It would hearken us back to uh, the Tower of Babel with the stairs or the pathway that ascend, right? Man is trying to ascend to God's presence, but God does descend. But, so, the, again, it's not life or death here, but I think the image of a pathway or stairs much more than like a ladder with rungs on it. And what's happening here is there's messengers of God are ascending and, and descending. What you have here is the image of, of heaven converging with earth. God is descending, man ascending to dwell with God. Verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you 
and to your offspring. See, Isaac and Rebekah have, have given, spoken God's word to Jacob. Promise and blessing has, have come through these parental angels or messengers. But here God stands above this structure, this pathway. In the same way that he was with Adam and Eve in the garden, he speaks directly to Jacob here. And Jacob is to be a blessing. Jacob must humbly receive God's blessing from God himself, the very God who blessed Abraham, who gave those same blessings and promises to Isaac. God himself gives these blessings or these promises to Jacob. The promise of land is now given from God to Jacob. What is here wilderness of untamed people and geography is to be home, is to be transformed into Eden's garden, though still infested with thorns. The promise is there. The land will be given so the offspring of Jacob can flourish in Eden, in the land of promise. Verse 14, God continues, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Right in the middle of God's promise is the promise that not only will Jacob be blessed, but he will be blessed to bless the nations. Shall all the families in the earth be blessed through you? Now, Jacob is in a dream. He's not in a tomb, and yet Jacob is in a death-like state. As night draws near, he has returned to the dust from which he was created. And from this undoing of Jacob, his offspring shall multiply as dust throughout the whole world. Do you notice the cruciform or the cross-shaped expansion of the blessing of God through Jacob? It's to go north, south, east, and west in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No eye can accept this promise except the eye of faith as Jacob lies helpless beside a stone and its night descends. Verse 15, Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Behold, that's the promise. What are these blessings rooted in? God's presence. Behold, I'm with you. Emmanuel. Isn't this the start of the, one of the favorite Christmas hymns? O come, O come. Emmanuel. God with us. The promise for Jacob, wherever he is to go, God is with him. If Psalm 139 had been written, that tune would have been playing in his ears the whole journey through the wilderness. With the psalmist, he would have been singing, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I descend or make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take on the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall uphold me. He would sing on if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day for the darkness is as light to you. Jacob is engulfed by darkness and the night. But his eyes behold the light of glory. Behold, okay, but, but Jacob is in wilderness here, and darkness surrounds him. Threats of Esau have been pursuing him. Jacob is isolated. He is wandering. Where has God been? 
Abraham knew what it was like to wander through the wilderness. When Jacob's name is later changed to Israel, he will know the wilderness again. Jacob's offspring and Israelites, they will know what it is to wander in the wilderness for generations. Jesus himself knew what it was to wander in the wilderness in his temptation as he was exiled to Egypt for a time. Most pointedly, he was exiled. He was in the wilderness of the cross. So, we too know seasons of wilderness. And I think this is the draw somewhat for the Israelites and for all who would read this story after Jacob's life. It's a life, it's a story of journeying. So we who journey with Jesus can relate to what Jacob is experiencing. And this is why as we walk through scriptures, as we walk through Genesis, what we're doing is we're seeking to apprentice ourselves to the life of Abraham, to the life of Isaac, and now to the life of Jacob. Because in these characters, in these people, we learn to trust in the God who promises, which is vital when you're in the wilderness and you can't see God and you don't hear from God. We walk by faith, trusting in the promises that he's given to Jacob. He says to Jacob, behold, I'm with you. I will keep you wherever you go, and I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. He's not going to leave him. He's going to accomplish his task. It's very much the promise given to us in Christ, isn't it? He who began a good work in you will bring it out to completion the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise throughout Scripture for God's people is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This passage is one of great comfort and encouragement. Whether we're in the wilderness or outside of it, God's promise is true. I will be with you. Verse 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob's response is fitting in the presence of God. There is fear and there is worship. Jacob responds in worship. The place where he slept in, uh, slept, it is filled with the awe of God. It is none other than, what does he call it? The house of God. And what's that name? Beth means the house. El means of God. This is Beth El. This is the house of God. And he says it's also the gate of heaven. So a connection there with those names, Babel, the Tower of Babel, that just simply means the gate of heaven. What the people were grasping for in Genesis 10, 11 is being fulfilled here in Jacob's dream. We can ascend and descend, but only as God designs. Jacob worships in the way that God desires. He is not grasping after, but he's patiently waiting. He's receiving from God. Verse 18 and 19 move on to say this. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. It's early morning, and Jacob rises from the dust. Awakened from his death, Jacob worships God. Here at Bethel, God descends and with him, Jacob ascends, passing through the gateway to God, his very grace and love. Jacob creates this or sets up this makeshift altar 
And he pours out liquid light, liquid glory, anointing this stone as a place, as a house to approach God, a place for life-giving worship in the wilderness. And so Jacob then covenants with his God, verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. In the same way that wedding vows ground a marriage. So Jacob here is not bargaining with a spouse, nor waiting to see if his spouse will be faithful. These are commitments. These are promises. These are vows which are rooted in awe of God. His response is to give himself to God through worship. And not just as he goes to the altar or to the stone here, but he promises to give a tenth of everything, a representation of himself being given back to the God who promises this, I will be your God and you will be my people. And in response to that, Jacob vows, you will be my God and I will be your people. And as God fulfills his vows or his promises to Jacob, so Jacob will fulfill his vows to God. We'll continue on with Jacob's story and we'll, we'll wander with him through this Canaanite land, this Canaanite wilderness and we'll enter with him into Egyptian slavery in a foreign land. But there in that place of suffering for Jacob and place of isolation with deceit and sorrow, we'll see God granting Jacob the success he promises. In that place of wilderness there and slavery, God will bless Jacob with a family like the dust of the ground. And the great bounty of the earth will feed and, and serve Jacob's family. God will free Jacob, who will then return through the promised land. He'll meet with God in chapter 32 and wrestle with God. And then down in, in chapter 35, where do we see Jacob once again? Back here at Bethel. God said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to accomplish it. I'm going to bring you back. And he does. The theme of wilderness wandering is woven into the lives of every patriarch. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We see Joseph. There's always elements of wilderness wandering in the life of Jesus. And therefore, we as the church, the body of Christ, should we not expect seasons of wilderness wandering? We live in a society that is increasingly ripped apart from so many fronts. Isolation is running in pandemic proportions. The church is falsely accused or often ignored, seeming impotent. Following Jesus is very much a wandering in the wilderness. It's so great that we can inhabit a story like Jacob's here because it informs our story. As Jacob's life was always pointing forward towards Jesus Christ, our lives are always looking back on Jesus Christ, so that we inhabit not only Jacob's story, but the life and story of Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, we are too are blessed, and we are blessed to be a blessing to the nations. The promises given to Jacob are ours in Jesus Christ, so that when the promise of, of God to, to Jacob says, I will be with you, that is our promise as well. And now that's a statement of faith, isn't it? To trust and to believe that God is with us in the wilderness, 
There's no other way to embrace this doctrine, this, this truth, with eyes of faith. Because God is often silent. And he often seems absent from our day in, day out life. When life begins to crumble around us, when evils multiply, we don't always see or hear God. And yet, the promise remains. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you to Jacob. And he says to us, to Jesus Christ, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And like Jacob, Jesus was laid on stone, a slab, and that tomb became an altar, a tomb that became a womb. In the same way that Jacob rose after a death-like sleep from the dust, so Jesus would rise from the dust as well. Having taken on flesh, having taken on our humanity, he awoke as the new humanity. Now to share in that story, we must share in the exile, the wilderness. We must share in a death like Jesus' death, trusting always in his resurrection. All who covenant with God after Abraham, Isaac, they would take on the name of Jacob. In fact, God's chosen people would be changed from his name Jacob to Israel. So we too take on the name of Christ as we wa are washed in the waters of baptism, as we are cleansed in his blood. We've been bought with a price and we belong to him. Jesus is now the person and the place where we ascend and descend to dwell with the living God. That's what Jesus was telling Nathaniel in John chapter 1. He said, now that I'm on the scene, you're going to see angels ascend and descend. But it's not in a dream. It's not in a tabernacle. It is in now a temple, and I am that temple. The way to approach God, the gateway to heaven, is now in Jesus Jesus Christ, which means that Bethel becomes our home, that the house of God is a place where we dwell in the wilderness or without. For the aim of God in redeeming his people is that the dwelling place of God should be with man. And so Jesus has come, our Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus has come as the true temple, the true house of God, the final Bethel. And we who follow him are like living stones built upon the chief cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. We are blessed in him that we might go out as living stones, as blessings to the world. Ours then is to give ourselves back to God. Yes, through our tithes and offerings, through our daily lives as we give ourselves to the world for the life of the world. Our story is hidden in Jesus Christ, and our story is that of Jacob's. We, in Jesus Christ, are blessed to be a blessing for the world, which means that we will wander in the wilderness of this fallen world, and yet we will ever and always find refuge in Jesus Christ, the true Beth-El, the final house of God, now and forevermore. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who draws near to us and not a God who remains far off. You draw near to us to speak to us, even in this scripture and in this sermon. And I pray that as we have heard it, as we have received it, would you open our ears to, to respond? Would you open our eyes to behold Christ more clearly? 
that we might be transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the next. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.